so that scripture that Eric read really stuck out to me. Uh, Paul says that he preached without getting paid. I just want you to know he's a better man than I am. <laughs> uh, we've uh, been going through the New Testament. Uh, this, this last week we read Matthew's chapter 21 through 25. And I, I have to tell you, I've, I got ahead on the reading. I, I read um, about a month's worth when I was in quarantine uh, around Christmas time. And actually, I had much of this sermon already written uh, before January 4th. And, um, but when I was look, looking through, there's some common themes in, in, these, uh, in, in chapters 21 to 25. And I, and I thought at the time, I either need to preach about politics or hell and I chose hell. I, I thought it would be a. I thought it would be better than politics. Um, but uh, but truthfully, there's a lot of uh, scripture this week uh, speaking on eternity. Um, we're actually going to spend more time in Matthew 22, and, uh, which is about heaven. But I'm not. I'm not going to change what I'm going to preach. But this uh, last week, couple weeks, has created a sense of urgency um, to me or in my life. I've spent quite a bit of time with uh, with people who uh, are not doing that well in the hospitals, um, with people my age and and some people much older. Um, but then on Monday, I received a, a phone call. Um, a, a young girl um, named Emily, 25 years old, uh, her dad uh, found her dead Monday morning. And uh, I had known her through youth group at Athens for five years. And uh, well, since then, but watched her grow up, and and then I, I I get that call, and then I go and sit at my desk and try to try to try to speak and try to look at these ideas of eternity, and uh, it it made it a lot harder, um, but it created more of a sense of urgency. Um, I'm not going to try to decide the meaning of life for anyone. Um, I definitely thought quite a bit about it this week. Uh, we have similar values as Christians, but some of us have different values as well. Um, but this week was just a huge reminder that, that we're only here a short time, and we really don't know how short. And being, being confident, uh, even more confident of, of the brevity of life, of how short we will be here, and having a faith in which an eternal afterlife exists, I've been thinking about how to best live our lives. How, how, would I, how will I best live my life? And I kept coming back to the scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's one of my favorite verses. And uh, when things are challenging, I always think of this. And it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity. It's going to be beautiful in time doesn't feel that way sometimes. Um, it's in our hearts now. We have an emptiness uh, we, we, uh, we seek out, uh, and, and, it, and we don't always find fulfillment, and we maybe start to wonder. And, and that's exactly what he says. Uh, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end, but that, it's like a, it's cyclical. It goes, it, it'll be beautiful. You guys are looking for it. You don't, we don't understand it, but eventually we will, and it will be beautiful. I found a couple different quotes that I really thought spoke on this well. St. Augustine, he said, You have made for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless 
until they rest in you. Uh, Blake Pascal wrote, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. And then C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. All of these quotes, this scripture, and the story that we're going to read in our text today are just big reminders that this world is not our final destination, uh, that we know that. We know every single one of us will die, and we will go somewhere. That's what this is all about. So while we're here, what we, what we do with our lives shows our belief in this, shows our, our values, and shows, us, shows others our view of God. And so today, there's not going to be a big application at the end. I'm going to work through this parable and uh, pull some, some key details. But what I would ask is that, what are you showing those around you? I mean, we say we value one thing. We say we live for eternity. We say we live for God, and, and we believe that the gospel saves the people, uh, saves all of us, or can save all of us. But do we really believe that? Do we really live that way and, and use our, our time and our energy to share that hope with the world. And so join me then in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus told a story about eternity. He, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to, th to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who had been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So this is a parable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it in a little bit. Uh, there's symbolism in a parable, and sometimes we are clear what, the, what, the, what it represents, and sometimes we are not. Maybe the, the, uh, the servants were the prophets, and, uh, and maybe it was other disciples in some form, and maybe the city that was burned was Jerusalem, uh, but we don't always understand. But the good thing about a parable, almost all of them, you can always find a, a, a main idea, a, a big idea. What was Jesus trying to tell these people? And I think it was very clear. All these people were invited to a party, and we'll see the timeline of it. Maybe it was Jews first and then Gentiles. I think that's why some of the wording is the way it is. Um, but, but at some point, every single person is invited, and some accept the invitation and, and some do not. Luke records in his story, uh, the same story, he records the excuses as wealth, as work, and as family. Does that sound bad? People are busy. But I think what Jesus is trying to say is it's not busyness, it's priority. See, these people in this story had already accepted an earlier invitation. Uh, hey, in a while there's going to be a, a wedding banquet, and you're invited. And they accepted that invitation, so then the, the messengers went around and said, hey, 
today is the day, let's go. And so what this tells me is that this, is, this story is for people who had already accepted uh, the invitation, or in our, in our take, these would be Christians, uh, people who have accepted um, Jesus as their, as their Savior. And so this is a call to recommit and to refocus. I think this story is very good for, uh, for the lost, for people who don't know Jesus, but I think this story is actually more for Christians who, are, who, are, who are need to decide how they're going to live their lives and if, if we're going to just say it or live it out. Because not all of what we do is evil, our, our work and our family and our hobbies and friends, but at some point we get ourselves to a point where we're just, uh, we've, we've got ourselves to be too busy and we don't have time uh, to do anything for the king who represents God in this story. And the excuse didn't go well. Verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. People who didn't feel like they probably ever had a chance to be invited to the king's banquet, uh, to the wedding banquet put on by the king, these people probably thought they had no chance, and they made it. So could you, I mean, you could imagine the celebration. I mean, thinking, I, I don't deserve to, to be here, but here I am. That's, that's these people here. It says it went out to the good and bad, so it's not about their character. It's about accepting the invitation. But then the story takes a, a twist. Verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So the man did not have wedding clothes, and I had to read a lot into what this could mean. Um, the wedding clothes, some say, were just, just nice clothes. Like you go home from your work and you, you change into nice clothes and you go to the wedding. Some say it was uh, white robes that people had to wear and that maybe were even passed out by the host. Um, it, it's hard to know exactly what it means, but what I believe the idea is is that these people were invited and they had a, a way to accept the invitation, but it was on the king's terms. See, this man came in, he accepted the invitation, but he thought he was going to do it his own way. He thought he was going to earn his way into the banquet, like we would think maybe we could do enough good deeds to earn our way into heaven, or not make enough bad mistakes, or make, make things right. He tried to do it in his, uh, in his own way, and, and when he came face to face with the king, he was thrown out. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people, it says the good as well as the bad, uh, the character of, of ourselves. Isaiah describes our righteousness, our character, as filthy rags. But in Romans, we see that this righteousness comes through Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's, it's not easy, but it's very simple. And so I, I think that this should be a wake-up call. For anyone who thinks that you're, you're, uh, you're good enough to get into heaven, you're not. I'm not. We are not good enough to get into heaven on our own, on our own terms. That's the story. But it should be a reminder and, and maybe even a celebration uh, and, a, and a commitment to the one who can save us. See, God has invited us into his home, but it's on his terms. 
Well, reading about heaven in, in chapter 22 is nice, but uh, we're not going to go into 24 and 25 too much. But there's, uh, there's a lot of talk on hell. Those, the chapter is a lot longer. When we think about eternity, we have to consider both. See, Peter Kreeft, a Catholic theologian from Boston College, he put it this way, of all the doctrines of Christianity, hell is the most difficult to defend, the most burdensome to bear, and the first to be abandoned. I think that's true. It's tough to understand. Is it fair? Is it necessary? I mean, how could, how could God allow people to go into hell? Every conversation I have, I've had, I've had multiple conversations in the last couple months, some in person, some on Facebook, uh, trying to uh, explain this concept a little bit more. How can God be loving, yet people can still end up in hell? Jesus spoke a lot about hell. We read about that, we read about it just Friday. Uh, Jesus said, or it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. First thing I see there is it was, it doesn't say prepared for those who were bad, prepared for the, the, the people who sinned. It says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, we can end up there too. But I think there's a bigger, a bigger idea there, uh, that this was something that was prepared for, uh, for Satan and his angels. But then anyone who rejects God can also end up there. But although our parable is mostly about heaven, there's a small hint in verses 11 through 13. And we learn some things about hell. Uh, there's, there's symbolism throughout the Bible, through parables, and in many cases, I think it's not just a parable, but there's symbolism because we can't fully understand. I can't fully understand how good heaven's going to be, and I can't fully under, understand how bad hell is going to be. So I think Jesus and the writers in the Bible, they try to uh, help us to at least get a glimpse of it. And so some of the wording here, the first thing that, it, that he says is, throw him outside. It means exclusion. Some people might think, well, and I've, I've even heard of a musician who said, well, I'd have more fun in hell. All my friends will be there, and, uh, and it'll just be a big party. Loneliness. It's isolation. It says into the darkness. Uh, light represents um, truth and knowledge in the Bible, and darkness represents confusion and ignorance. It'll be con you'll be confused. You'll be ignorant of anything good and isolated. And it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, weeping is being sad, and gnashing of teeth is being frustrated. So it's this anguish that, that there's no turning back. I've made a mistake, and there's nothing I can do now. He uses metaphors of, of fire. We see that in, in the Bible quite a bit. Fire burns quickly and destroys. It's terrifying. I believe that, that Jesus wants us to fear hell. Fire causes pain. I don't, I don't know what level. Uh, I don't know if it'll be spiritual pain, it'll be physical pain, but I, I think that Jesus wants us to know very clearly it's not going to be fun and games. It's not going to be pleasant. No one wants to end up there. There's no beating around the bush. It's just this is going to be a terrible place and you don't want to be there. Some people say, well, life's, life's like hell. And sometimes it, it might feel that way. I, I don't know to what level, but I, I know some people right now that might feel that way a little bit. Other times, it's, it's more like heaven. We, we get a glimpse, I think, in both ways, good and bad, uh, of the good in life. We receive blessings because God is active in this world. But there's also sin in this world. And so why would God 
create or even allow people to go to hell? Back to that question. I didn't just skip over it. I wanted to, to touch on it quite a bit. I believe that it brings meaning. See, if there's no life beyond this life, if there's no accountability for our actions, then, then there's no meaning. A philosopher, Fyodor Dostoevsky, I don't know if I got that right, but I tried. He said, if there is no immortality, then everything is permitted. If everything is permitted, nothing matters. I believe that hell exists for the sake of justice. There's a universal sense of right and wrong in humanity. Now, obviously, that's a gray area and many different issues. But there is a sense of right and wrong. And we trust God for justice. But this last one's the hardest. I believe that hell exists because of love. You have a choice. Choose God or not. If, if you've ever tried to force someone to love you, you probably know it doesn't work. If anyone's ever tried to force you or manipulate you into uh, loving them, it doesn't work. You can desire someone, you can pursue someone, you can try to win their heart, but you cannot force someone to love you. God is compared to a loving father, and I, and I, I think I love my kids, so uh, it, even if they reject me, though, how could I allow them to go to hell? What would I do if I were in this case? Well, I'm not God. I don't have to make that decision. But, but why, is it even, why does it make sense at all? Well, if, if my child does not want to be with me, but I force them to, if that was their only option, that's not love. That's, that's imprisonment. So what do you do? How do you, how do you let someone know that, that you want them to be with you? You could text them. You could uh, write them love letters. You could give them gifts. You could spend time with them. I mean, we've heard of love languages. You could serve them. You could do anything possible. Just, you just want them to know that you love them. What did God do then? He sent a gift. He made a sacrifice in His Son. He, he gave us his words, he did everything that he could possibly do to let us know that he loves us and he wants us to be with him. That, 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 that's it. He's not making us go to hell. He's not, he's not sending people there with no choice. He wants all of us to be with him enough that he would let his own son bleed out on a cross for our sake. The message was pretty amazing, and he let us know that he cares. But people choose to not accept the gift. People choose to live apart from God, to ignore Him, to deny Him, to rebel against Him. So if they want to live apart from Him for eternity, then the only loving response is to allow them instead of imprisoning them. And when I talk about this, the, the, the big question is always the same thing. What about the people who haven't heard about Jesus? What, that's not fair. What about them? Uh, it, it, sometimes it looks like, it, is there some way, some other way someone can be saved? Jesus is the only way that we know of. Is it possible that if a person is sincerely seeking God, that God will reveal himself to them so that they can be saved at some point? Is it possible that someone who has never heard of Jesus, they grew up in a, in a country that doesn't have the gospel, they grew up with a different religion, and they've lived their life with great morals, and they've done everything that you would think a good religious person would do, is it possible that they will be saved? God does not give us that answer specifically. I don't want to walk on the fence here, 
I'm not God. I don't get to pick who gets to go to heaven or hell. I don't know uh, exactly how things are, will play out. But what I do know is, is Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if we have the answer, if we have the solution, why are we worried about these maybes that we will never know if, it, if it's enough? We know that the cross is enough. It would be like if, if um, the church caught on fire, it, right? We're sitting here and there's a big fire. And, uh, and we'll just say it's, it's there, the whole entryway, those doors. You can't go that way. And, and uh, there's a lot of smoke, and you're all visitors. You've never been in here before. And, and I know the way out. I know that this door right here, if you guys would all follow me, we'll just leave. It's going to be cold out there, but everyone's saved. We're all good. But if I thought, you know, the architect couldn't have just had that one exit right there. I, what if, I think there's one back there. It would, only, it would be sensible if the architect would have put an exit back there just in case. And so I say, you know what, you guys come with me. We're going to go this way. Yeah, we would all... We would all burn or suffocate. We would all die. No one would make it out. If, if we know a for sure way to heaven, if we know a for sure way that people will, will not suffer in hell, if we know a for sure way to get to God, then why would we focus on the other things? Why don't we just share it? And if we are Christians and if our value is eternity and we love God and we love people, then there's nothing that we should be focused on in the, in the way uh, that gets in the way of, of Jesus, of sharing him with the world. It, it's, so I don't do a great job at this. I don't think any of us do close to what we could be doing. And I don't, I don't even want to say should because, you know, do we value Jesus or not? Do we value people's lives? Do we value their eternal souls or not? And if we do, then you, we should be telling someone today, right, right now, we should be sharing the gospel. That's the only sensible solution if we believe it to be true. If we don't, there's no point in being here. The descriptions of, of God and of heaven, uh, they're a lot more pleasant than those descriptions of hell. Uh, preachers used to preach, they would call hell fire and brimstone just to try to scare people uh, into being saved. I think it's important that we read through the details. I like these details more. I like the scripture that lets us know that heaven's going to be like a, a city with streets paved of gold whose people live in, in, in peace. I like the, the description that we read today of the banquet, of you know, thinking of, you know, what does that look like? Good food, laughter, good company. The description of heaven being like a home, that Jesus prepared a place for us, and there's a room for every single one of us who wants in. And I love the picture Genesis starts out with a garden, and, and, and then you go to the last chapter, Revelation 22, and, and you can see the river of life with tree that, trees that are always producing fruit, um, and, and this, just this peaceful place. I mean, just to go outside, and, and it gives us just a glimpse of how amazing it'll be. Not, not today, obviously, but, but it'll be perfect. But the thing about heaven and hell is we have to choose right now. We have to choose today. All of our beliefs, um, all of our thoughts about God in the Bible come down to one thing, that God made possible us, uh, our being with him, and that he made it possible. We're going to take communion in just a second, and I, and I want you to consider the cost of sitting at the table. In this story, there's a wedding banquet, and, and so there has to be a table and chairs, and you have a seat at the table. You didn't have to pay for it. 
but it doesn't mean that it, there wasn't a cost. It was Jesus dying for you to pay for that seat. Are you going to let it sit empty for eternity? Or will you fill the seat? God paid your way through his son. I want to wrap up by going back to Ecclesiastes 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the heart, in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I look forward to the day when everything is beautiful, when eternity is right in front of me, and the day that it all makes sense. What do you value? What are you going to do with what you know, with this gospel that you carry, that you could share with someone else? If you don't know what I'm talking about, if, if the, the gospel hasn't been made clear enough, I apologize, and I would love to talk with you more. If, if this is uh, something that you haven't done, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, if you, if you would like to go to heaven and you want to know the way to get there, uh, come and talk to me right after church. I'd love to talk with you more right now, anytime. Call me, whatever. We have to know this. But for the rest of us, I think the challenge today is what will we do with what we have? What will we do with the gospel? And who will we take it to? Let's pray. Father, we come to you, um, as always, as a loving Father, even when we don't understand what that looks like or, or uh, the confusion in life, the hardships, uh, the pain that we can carry uh, many, many days and years of our lives. Uh, but to be able to know uh, that everything will be beautiful in time, uh, that, that this emptiness of eternity uh, will be filled someday. And so I pray that our our hearts, our minds, our lives are not something that would keep us from seeking you, the one who can fill our hearts and make it all right. I pray for, uh, for each person here that you would place on our hearts someone uh, who needs to hear this, and that you would give us the courage and the wisdom and the words uh, to share the love of Jesus with the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.